Hello and thanks for tuning in to this episode of the ALT Learn Podcast. I'm John Tate and I'll be your host as we break down the craft of teaching and the science of learning, what this pedagogy looks like in the classroom, and get to find out how our teachers are turning all this theory into practice. So, let's dive into this week's episode. Welcome to episode 10 of the ALT Learn Podcast, where we've got another great episode lined up for you today, discussing the craft of classroom questioning, and in particular, how we can use mini whiteboards to increase the effectiveness of our questioning. So I'm pleased to say that alongside me on today's show, we have Doug Welsh, MFL teacher at North Allerton School. A warm welcome to the podcast, Doug, and thank you for sitting down with me to talk teaching and learning this afternoon. Well, thank you, John. I'm really uh, looking forward to speaking to something which has a massive impact on my teaching and the learning in my classroom. Fantastic. Right, well, let's get into it then. Um, as you and our listeners from the Trust will know, our professional learning focus this half term is about questioning and feedback. So before we get into talking, uh, like you said, about the specific use of whiteboards, can you talk to me about why things such as low stakes quizzing and retrieval practice are so important as part of the checking for understanding process? Yes, so I think um, low stakes testing and retrieval practice is a massive part of uh, MFL. Um, so I need to know what the students can remember mm-hmm. and then change and adapt to what the what that testing is telling me also it needs low stakes so it needs to be fun mm-hmm. um and there needs to be no no pressure on the students um because in mfl it's vital that they start the lesson successfully mm-hmm. thinking to themselves yes i know some of this or i know all of this or i can remember some of this and then we and then we break that barrier of of them not understanding Fantastic. What I want them to teach, and, and you mentioned obviously about you know about the, the importance of low stakes, and I think that we you know, we all see sometimes when if students feel that there's a pressure around uh, a test, and you know we, we've actually used the word quiz there rather than test, and it's yeah. interesting even just changing the language, isn't it? That's right. Of saying it's a quiz, and suddenly it does feel low stakes. You know, and I, I've spoke to trainee teachers actually this week about saying that we don't go to pubs to do pub tests; we do pub quizzes. That's and, right. and, it, and it sounds different, so I think yeah. it, I take it you try and use that terminology to to make it low stakes and, and not put the pressure on students. Is that right? Yeah, and I also um, so I have a one that I, I took from lockdown learning where um, I have either the Spanish and French on the screen, and I say the English, mm-hmm. and they have to point to the Spanish or French word, or or vice versa. But it's really effective low stakes testing because. I can watch where they're pointing at, mm-hmm. and they know whether they've got it right or wrong. But mm-hmm. nobody else in the classroom yeah. knows yeah. which one that which one they're pointing at. Yeah, and it, it's it's really effective, and the students like it. Yeah, and, and I think you know what we know from retrieval practice as well is that it's not the it's not the writing down of the marks that makes the difference. It's the actual retrieval and the actual thought of of retrieving that information from previously. It doesn't matter what you write in your gradebook. That doesn't make any difference to anyone. It's the active retrieval. Um, I know you. I, I know in, in talking to you, kind of off air and in, in school over you know over, over the last kind of few months as well, you've been using kind of Rosenstein's principles as well, um, and also Jan Frankie Conto's you know, methods. So do you want to you know, talk about how that works in, in MFL and what you've yeah. been doing there? So the the, the Rosenstein, which is which is really great for MFL again, is, is about small success. Successful, small successful steps. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, we, we need the we need the learners to be confident uh, about about what they know, rather than rather than thinking worrying about the French or Spanish that they don't know. They can yeah. they can think, oh, I know, I knew six out of those. Yeah. Oh, I knew most of those. I only got that one wrong, mm-hmm. and and move on from there. And then uh, yeah, Conti is huge in MFL, and a lot of that is is re- retrieval practice and using lots of different uh, methods to embed the, the key vocabulary before, so the students master it yeah. and have a really deep understanding, deep knowledge of the phrases that they need before 
they put it into into practice. Yeah, and I think that's really interesting uh, and important, not just for languages, but for any teachers listening, irrespective of your subject. There is a foundational base of knowledge that students need to know in order to know other things, and it's that age-old thing of knowing things help helps you know more things. You know, if, right. you, if you and if you think about how how the, the kind of schema of, of how we remember things, we remember them in almost connected kind of dots. And if you actually remember 100 things that weren't connected, very, very difficult. But once you know one thing and, and it's connected to something else and that connects to something else, suddenly it becomes a lot easier because you're having to l- almost learn and remember less things because they're almost connected together. And having that base foundation of, of, of retrieval constantly, especially in languages for your, you know, your vocab and you've, you know, constant that all the time, I think it's important. But equally in other subjects as well, constant retrieval, um, low stakes all the time, you know, no pressure and actually getting students to, to remember and learn more things it also then reduces their cognitive load because they're not having to then think of those words or think of those things or the dates of the battles or whatever it is in any other subject and spend cognitive processes doing that because they can already, they already know it. Yeah. It's already in there. It's, it's there automatic. So they can spend more of their cognitive processes thinking about the harder things yeah. you know, rather than to think about the easy things. That's, I think that stuff's yeah. really so important. So we have, I have um, a set of verbs called uh, go-to, go-to verbs. Some people in MFL call them martini verbs because they're the verbs you can have anytime, anywhere, <laughs> any place. Like I call them go-to verbs because they're the verbs that you're going to go to in your writing exam or your mm-hmm. uh, speaking exam, even if you've missed the bus, even if it's raining, even if you've not had breakfast, mm-hmm. even if you're a bit nervous about the yeah. speaking exam, you can remember these verbs. Mm-hmm. And if you know these verbs, you can speak about any topic, speak or write about any topic. Yeah. So I call them the go-to verbs because I know you're going to go to them yeah. mm-hmm. as, your, as your base. And um, I just use loads of low-stake low testings yeah. w- with those verbs yeah. so that when, um, when they get to exam time or writing or speaking time, they know they can always fall back. Perfect. Fall back onto them. And then another thing that I've, uh, that I've done is ha- having a massive impact as well, it, which started uh, in lockdown was um, I've started using multiple choice mm-hmm. uh, quizzes yeah. as kind of exit passes and, and homework. Mm-hmm. So they always have one misconception. Uh, so a right answer, a wrong answer and a, and a misconception. Mm-hmm. And it's a really uh, good thing because it's really diagnostic. It tells me how many people in the class, what percentage of the class have got that question right or question wrong. So I can look in at the uh, misconceptions and plan my next lesson from uh, as a low stakes test on that on those misconceptions. Fantastic, and, that, and that's really important. It's something we'll, we'll probably come on to in one of the other questions I've got. I've got for you later on in the interview. But you know, I, I'm. It was only a, until a few years ago that I really came to understand how to use multiple choice questions properly. I initially thought they were, I suppose, lazy lazy teaching because actually students could guess the answer. But then I read uh, an article from uh, Craig Barton, a maths teacher, um, about, about how he uses his diagnostic questions um, to actually have one correct answer and three common misconceptions. So it's not three random wrong answers that are just thrown together. It's actually, this, there's a real science and a real thought process behind which, which of, you know, because then it, if I know that 20% of the, cl- of the class have gone with answer B, it means that they have a misconception that I need to reteach because... If I don't, if I don't know the difference between a, mis- a mistake and a misconception, if a student has a misconception, they're always going to get that question wrong till yeah. the day they die. That's right. It's never going to change. Yeah. A mistake, you might get it right today and wrong tomorrow. You know, especially in maths, it might be a mental error. Yeah. But actually, if it's a, a deep-seated root, root misconception, we have to understand that. We have to tackle it. We have to identify it. Yeah. Otherwise they're just going to continue to get that wrong. So I think that's really important for people to understand how you can use multiple choice questions. Yeah, so I agree, but I think multiple choice questions, the hard work's in the preparation. Yeah. But once you, once you know how to do that, 
they're, they're, in, they're incredibly easy. So rather than waiting to mark 30 books, I can diagnose who, who's, understand, who's understood yeah. what or who's picked up the misconception. And with languages, yeah, it's very simple to do because you just have the correct phrase in French or Spanish and then the direct translation from English, for example, which is the misconception, and you can spot it straight away. And then I also can then, you can then adapt because of low stakes testing and retrieval practice. I then adapt then, so I take out take out the answers that everyone's getting 100% on mm-hmm. and add the new content. Fantastic. New content that I've taught. Fantastic. And hopefully that'll be something that people are listening and thinking, yeah, I, I need to use multiple trial questions more and I need to actually put more thought into the, to the wrong answers, the, the misconceptions, because that's, right, yeah. that's what it's about. You know, and as an experienced teacher, knowing year on year what are those common misconceptions yeah. that uh, if students aren't almost reprogrammed uh, and, and, and rebooting into thinking, yeah. that, you know, then, then they're always going to get that wrong. And, and then if we don't know that, then that's a, that's a, that's a big issue. Right. Let's, let's kind of park that there in terms of the retrieval practice. And let's start to move now into kind of what we were going to talk about, which is, is, is kind of the use of whiteboards. So, so I know, having kind of seen you teach quite a bit and in and out in the chats that we have as a languages teacher, you use whiteboards quite frequently uh, in your lessons. So I suppose, why are whiteboards better then than just using traditional questioning methods? Um, yeah, I absolutely love whiteboards. I think they were really uh, powerful too for me to help find out what uh, everybody knows in a in a in a low stakes way as well, because the students know they can they can rub out or mm-hmm. add in add in anything that they they think of uh, later before it's actually finalised uh, in their book, and it allows me to scan around the classroom and see everybody's answers rather than just the people who uh, want want to put their hands up, mm-hmm. uh, which would. I never really go for either or the cold calling which I do do but I can cold call having seen what Perfect. the students have got their ans- on their answers and I think what you said there is, is really important that actually if, if anybody listening to this thinks well or reflects on their practice how do you know what everyone in the class is thinking or knows and that's sometimes very difficult without whiteboards because you have to you know typically and traditionally we might question one, two, three, four people and we might make an assumption that you've all got it so therefore we've all got it let's move on but actually we might have asked three kids out of 30 so you've you know if you think about that you, you you've taken a stroke of 10 percent of the class and thought we're fine let's move on um whereas like you say with whiteboards you can see what everyone's thinking every and, you, and, and that's it then has to it's 100 percent engagement isn't it because yeah. you've got to put something on the board whereas we can't see if students are thinking inside their head you know we might be able to make a, an inference that you know if they look like they are or they aren't but on a whiteboard, when you've got to come up with something, you can really see that. So I think it's 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 really important, you know, from that point of view. And interesting what you said as well about um, being able to then cold call afterwards. And that, I think that, that's you know, so rather than thinking it's a it's a separate technique, but actually everyone has to think, everyone has to show them what's on their board, and then I'll cold call one person to then almost explain their answer. Is, is that is that how it kind of works? Yeah, that's right. And uh, I also use a thing called um, show the leader, where um, I get the I, I pose the question pose a question to the students it might be um, that they translate something from English into the, into the target language and then they'll write it on their whiteboard um, and then once they've finished their um, sentence or their, their answer they'll put that answer uh, to, to towards them showing me their blank the blank side of the whiteboard mm-hmm. so the blank side of the whiteboard is a sign for me to, to know that that student's written their answer mm-hmm. but it also means that everybody is going to write their own answer rather than see someone else's yeah. and write that. And then when I see um, when I see all of the, the blank sides up, I then say, show me, and they turn their, 
turn their whiteboards over and I can see see the answers. Um, so that was that's something that I've always done. But the thing that came out of the, the conversation that I had with you and the reading that you told me to go and do from Doug Limoff, Teach Like a Champion, was the was the show calling. Yeah, yeah. And so what's and that's really kicked on in my lessons as well is that now um, I'm I'm technically cold calling, but I'm going to, and I'm taking a student's whiteboard and I'm putting it under my visualizer, and I'm ask then question uh, if it's if, for example if there's one with a misconception, I'll take that one. I make sure I choose the right student, mm -hmm. the confident student that's, yeah. that that's going to be okay with me taking their work, and I'll praise them and say, oh. This is a brilliant French, uh, French or Spanish sentence, mm -hmm. but um, it's not quite perfect. And then I'll, it's targeted question again, it's targeted cold calling, because I mm -hmm. can say to a certain student, right, what's the, what's the misconception? And then we can get the answer from that. And then I'll get 25 of the students correcting the misconception or any of the students that have done that can correct that on their whiteboard without, yep. it, going in their, without it going in their book. And then then I can push on the questioning into how can we improve this answer? Yeah. How could we extend it? What could we, what could we say? What could we use? And then I can um, use that questioning to give the students um, success, the success criteria mm -hmm. that they need all on, on the whiteboard with, with my visualizer. And then the, then I, the students can practice because mm -hmm. they're on the whiteboards and I'll say, We've taken the example sent example sentence. We've success. We've identified all the success criteria, and then I say, "Write, write me a sentence of your own." And that sentence there is already much more accurate because we've they've rubbed out the misconception or mm -hmm. they've changed it. They've added the extra bit that someone yeah. else has suggested. They thought, "Oh yeah, I know how to say that. Oh, I know how to write that." And then they write it. Uh, they write it on their whiteboard knowing, oh, I need to include some connectives. I need mm -hmm. to include an opinion. I need to include a adjective. And you need to include a, a, a different tense because mm -hmm. we've, we've scaffolded that for them. Brilliant. And then it's on their whiteboard, so they, it's practice. Mm -hmm. And then I can go around around the room, uh, checking, checking their answers or prompting them to extend it. Um, and then they, they self-assess yeah. their own whiteboard. So it's all this practice. So I talk to them, as you know, much like yourself, I'm really into my sports. So I talk to them about this is the practice, this is the mm -hmm. training. Yeah. Now it's now we're getting ready to we're getting further down the week towards game time, mm -hmm. and then when it's game time, that's when they write what they've got on their whiteboard in the book. In in the book, and yeah. it's it, um, it, can't really show you on a podcast, but it's made a huge <laughs> yeah, impact yeah. on marking. Because rather than me marking the sentences with the misconceptions in, yeah. and rather than me saying you need to add a connective or try and add an opinion, they've all already done that. So I don't really need to do that with what went well, because they've self-assessed it anyway. Brilliant. I just need to say uh, deepen this or, or stretch yeah. stretch it like stretch it Fantastic. like this. And do you feel? Because I mean, some people might be listening and thinking, well, but I do that in my exercise books. But do you feel that the reason it's on a whiteboard and it can be rubbed out? Do you think for certain groups of students, maybe even boys, that they're more likely to try and give it a go because they they know that they can rub it out and it's not then yeah. permanent, I suppose, in a yeah. book? Do, do you feel that that kind yeah, of works it, better it, for them? It, it is perfect for that because you, you, you actually see students draft and, and, and redraft their 
redraft their answers and of course they can just write the wording with an arrow on their whiteboard and then when it comes to writing it in the book but it um yeah the show calling thing is is having a massive impact with the boys that I teach as well because there's that element of competition mm -hmm. so they want me to pick them yeah they want me to take their board um and it gives me a chance to praise them yeah and then rather than them being reluctant to write I can say look you, you've I know we're in year nine, but you've written a GCSE mm -hmm. standard sentence here. I need it. I need the proof in your yeah, book, yeah. and then then they happily write <laughs> write a paragraph yeah, of French perfect. or Spanish in, into into their book because they know it's right and they know it's good. Perfect. So to have the competition competitive element, and then I say, right, John, that's great, but we need I need proof of how amazing your sentence is yeah. in your book, and that's the and that like going back to the sport thing, mm -hmm. say to them. This, this is our performance. Yeah, let's yeah. let's let's Excellent. put it in our books. So, in terms of you, when you mentioned about kind of picking some of those whiteboards, so so if I go like for, put a scenario, so you've you've asked a question, you've said it's only been on the whiteboard, so everyone's written on the whiteboard, they've held it to their chest, nobody's then they haven't allowed all the people to see it, so it's you know it's it's only their own work, yeah. they're not just kind of copying off each other. They've held it to their chest, they've flipped it around when you've said show me, you've then kind of worn around, you've selected, so I, I presume you then select you carefully, I think you said select. Two or three different responses. Yeah. One might be a great response. One might be a misconception. One might be something else. Yeah. And then you can kind of then, I suppose, ask students, you know, why have why do you think someone's got this or that kind of? So you you almost combining the cold call with the whiteboards there yeah. and the misconceptions and mistakes and getting students to maybe talk through why maybe someone's done this or what they can add to that. Yeah. So there's a lot of range of things there, isn't it? Like all stacked on top of each other. Yeah. Lots of little mini kind of um, strategies all together yeah. that all kind of work, you know, or, 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 as they are. So another another technique I wanted to kind of to talk to you about about that is is think pair share, and I think that sometimes people think that those strategies need to be isolated strategies that I have to do cold call all whiteboards or cold call all think pair share. But actually, I think we've 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 kind of talked and we, we talked in the in the professional learning session here at Northallerton last week about how you can actually compare. Sorry, not compare. How you can combine yeah. uh, things like whiteboards with think pair share. Yeah. And it came from an article that, that I kind of read and I shared on the, the ALT Learn site about different things in there. So rather than me kind of talk through it, I just, you know, from your experience, how then have you used whiteboards as part of ThinkPairShare and how has it kind of improved that kind of, I suppose, age-old and traditional kind of teaching tech that so many people are, are familiar with? Yeah, um, so I do, yeah, for me, whiteboards, again, work brilliantly work with ThinkPairShare because they, they have the... The thinking time, which I don't scrimp on, I give them enough thinking time as an individual. And then they have the pair bit. But if it, that's on a whiteboard, you can have you can have John coaching Doug, so, which means that John's embedding that knowledge, mm -hmm. deepening his understanding. Because if you if you can coach someone, if you can explain someone how to do something, you know that yeah. that topic pretty well. And then you've got Doug thinking, I thought it was that, but I wasn't sure. Mm -hmm. But John's just backed me up, and I, so now I know it is. So by the time Mr. Welsh asks me, yeah. and I've got the same answer as John, so I know I'm, I know I'm right. Excellent. And you mentioned there something, you, you said you don't scrimp on the kind of on the think time. I think sometimes when I see Think Pair Share done, uh, there's, there's a bit of think time, but it's kind of five, six seconds. And actually sometimes... I'm not really sure if students have thought. And then the problem is you get when you go into the, the, the kind of pair, if you've got a more competent or a dominant person, 
then that person shares their thoughts. The other person hasn't had to think, and suddenly That's they're it. just given an idea and an answer. Yeah. So really, you haven't. It hasn't really made anybody think any harder. So with the whiteboards, and I presume that that when you said that that kind of think time, again, you give them enough time, and everyone has to have an answer on the whiteboard, don't they, to start That's with, it. so that everyone's got something. And then you know that that think time might then be thirty seconds, might be a minute, might be a bit longer, I suppose, before they even then start to share that. So I think I take it whiteboards helps the, them to be some productivity in that think time. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And it, and also the whiteboards help them to be to be brave because ultimately they know that there are two steps before they're going to answer that question yeah. to me or, or or in front of the in front of the class, which again massive in my subject. Mm-hmm. Um, the check-in of oh yeah I've got the same thing as John therefore mm-hmm. we're right or, or I, I was going to write that John's put that yeah. so and I, I take it that's like, also when when they when they're sharing sorry when they they're, they're kind of pairing together that they might then rub something out change it and, and, it and make it better yeah so that when that when that sharing happens yeah. the two boards are the same and that you know there's been a bit of kind of yeah. self improvement and, and checking I take it that happens as well it does yeah and I also um, after I've done a think pair share I add in if if I think it's the right thing to do, I add in a nook, an, uh, another layer, which is called a magpie minute. Yep. And that means the students can get up and not just work with their pair. They can go and check with someone else in the class. So then you're getting two verifications mm-hmm. of, uh, of the answer, yep. again, before speak, before saying it out loud or before, before writing, it, writing it in the book. Fantastic, brilliant. So we've had quite a lot there in, in terms of um, the different strategy. We've talked about cold call, we've talked about retrieval practice, we've talked about whiteboards, we've talked about using cold call and whiteboards, we've talked about using whiteboards to, to diagnose misconceptions and the show call you mentioned. Uh, you, we then talked about whiteboards and think pair share. So there's so many different integrations that we've kind of used there to take our questioning from what would have been traditionally you know, say a question, hand goes up, and we go to one hand. Actually, we can now work out what everyone in the room understands. I think that's, that's so important. So on the basis of all that then, uh, if somebody's listening who hasn't really used whiteboards before, um, what advice would you give to someone who kind of maybe hasn't used whiteboards before but was thinking, actually, there's a set on my desk or there's a set in my in my department. Um, I might give this a go tomorrow with my classes. What kind of advice? Because there's, like anything in life, there'll be things that when you start using whiteboards, you've now improved on, or you, you, you had, there were some mistakes, or it went wrong. or So if you, you know, that kind of idea of you know, those teething problems, what can you share with other people in terms of your advice? Yeah, I, re- I really uh, plan this carefully. And I have to say that I used um, the walkthroughs, rehearsal routines. And um, mm-hmm. another thing that I got from Doug Lemos, Teach Like a Champion. So I... The first lesson, we just f- focused on routine. Yeah. So, uh, so I teach French and Spanish, so I told the students that, that my classroom is like their favourite French and Spanish restaurant, and we need to get the we need to get the covers out. Yeah. And get everyone sat in their favourite seat in their in yeah. their favourite in their favourite restaurant. So the first lesson with the whiteboards, we just concentrated on routines. So I uh, gave the students the whiteboards equipment. And time them to see how how quickly they could hand it out. Mm-hmm. Stop the timer, and then I timed them to see how quickly they could hand it back in. Uh, and then I, I challenged them to see let's see if we can do it quicker. Yeah. So they did it quicker, and we could most classes could hand it out within a minute. Mm-hmm. So I then said, right, it takes us a minute to hand the whiteboards out. Mm-hmm. It takes us a minute to hand the whiteboards in. There's 58 minutes of learning time. Yeah. Two minutes of yeah. Two minutes of routine. Mm-hmm. 
which so that that proved really really effective. And then I did all of the techniques like show the leader, mm-hmm. questioning them how to use the whiteboard. Yeah. So I might the question was, what do you do when I say show yeah. the leader? And on their whiteboards they'd have to write that. Yeah, so yeah. it's real. Yeah. Drilled the the routine, um, so yeah, I, I do talk to them about being in a French or Spanish restaurant and us just setting out the covers. That means if they if we're not going to use them right away, but I want them for the second or third part of the lesson, I want them set out first. So again, I go back to sport and I say this is just us putting out the cones for the next drill. Yeah, leave the whiteboards alone. Yeah. Don't don't yeah. take the lid off the whiteboard pen. Yeah, not don't use the rubber. Yeah, that's just for our next next part of the next yeah. part of the practice and I, I think that's just really great because I mean we, we talked right all three schools in the trust we, we, we've we really focused on routines at the start of the year and I spoke to kind of Joe Bainbridge on, on the, one of the earlier episodes of the podcast start this year about routines and I think that really understanding that that we need to teach the routines like you said there because if if you haven't used whiteboards before and you give whiteboards out in your next lesson to a group of you know I don't know year nine boys or you know then you know, and they haven't been taught how to use them, they've not used them before, yeah. they suddenly get a pen and a whiteboard on that, and then, you, you know, you, you, you yeah. know what's going to happen. We saw, well, we saw that in that session that you did, didn't you, when you yeah. handed, the, handed the whiteboards out to the teachers. Exactly, the everyone teachers wants to, everyone want, everyone, if you give them a, a dry whiteboard and a pen, people want to use it, whether you're a That's teacher, it. whether you're an adult, a kid, doesn't matter, so it's about, like you said, making sure the expectations are there, yeah. and I really like the idea that actually we're, we're just setting the cones out. Yeah. You don't need to use them. You don't need to grab them. You don't need, like actually. This is for later. And if we can do that at the start of the lesson, it makes everything a lot smoother. Rather than then stop in the middle of the lesson to give yeah. those things out because it it, it, it disrupts the flow yeah. of the lesson. So if we can be mature in our approach that that's for later. And again, like you said about, I like the idea of you know, the Spanish or you know, French restaurant. You know, you might have more cutlery on your table than that's you need it. to start with. That's it. You don't start using it, and that's for dessert. Yeah. That's for this. That, and actually, let's let's treat the students like that. And, and make sure we, we, we teach them those routines um, and, and, and how they're used because I do think it's really useful because it's yeah. um, an important that, that, that we teach them how to use those properly so that you don't then have all the kind of horror stories that you hear people going, oh, I handed them out and guess what happened? Yeah, well, and then I then also work backwards from when they've written a GCSE level, when, when I've convinced the class to write a GCSE level uh, sentence in their book, I then say... And this is why we look after our whiteboards and whiteboard pens and rubbers because look, we've gone from yeah. this sentence to this paragraph. Yeah. Again, very much like a sport analogy. This mm-hmm. is this is this is training. Yeah. This is live practice. Mm-hmm. Now we've got the performance, and it's all because of the whiteboard. So keep the lids on the whiteboards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep the rubbers on the table. Yeah, yeah. Make sure the whiteboards are, are clean and looked after. And I, and I do. I think it's great. And I think that. Like anything in life, the more that you know, if you're a teacher listening to this and you haven't used whiteboards before and you use them once next week and then not for another three or four weeks, then you're always going to be in that like first lesson kind of scenario where kids are going to be excited about using them. Yeah. But if it becomes part of your routine and you take time in the first couple of lessons, like you said, to teach the routine, to embed it, to practice it, to, to give it a go, then actually lesson by lesson by lesson it just becomes another piece of equipment it just becomes something that they're used to they know that it sits on the right hand side of their desk or under their book or wherever it is wherever you kind of want that to happen and it just becomes the norm whereas if it's a bit of excitement every now and again then it it, it does feel different and it is exciting and students will be silly with it but if it's a a part of your routine then we we can get there so yeah I think that's great I think there's some great 
tips there for people who might be wanting to use it uh, you know, for the first time or, or, or might have used it before because I think most people have used them at some point but actually are you using them every day to improve your questioning I think that, that's a question for people to, to think about so in, in wrapping up this then it, kind of finally um, in a nutshell how, how has the use of techniques like cold calling that we mentioned uh, and the use of whiteboards made a difference to your questioning over, over the years Doug? Yeah, the, like I said, I think it probably is coming through. I, I, I really uh, rate mm-hmm. whiteboards. Uh, we sort of had this conversation uh, yeah. again. Uh, we, again, it's back to almost back to a, a sport analogy. So, the white, if all of the whiteboard bits, uh, including the routine, mm-hmm. that's like that's like the training. But the cold calling, that can be rather than you wouldn't send the quarterback a report mm-hmm. two weeks later mm-hmm. if you're coaching. Yeah the quarterback in training on Tuesday yeah. and he, need, he needs to just plant his feet and mm-hmm. turn further, you tell him there and there, then. Yeah, there yeah. And then. Yeah. He doesn't get a report yeah. after the match on Saturday. You tell him on Tuesday, he changes, he practices it, he practices it at the next tra- training, then he practices it at live practice, mm-hmm. then he performs it on the Saturday. And so it's that reactive teaching, it's that live, yeah. that live teaching that... Um, it's that immediate feedback, isn't it? It is. That actually, you know, we know that from all the, the, the studies from um, things like the uh, the EEF and, you know, and all the work from the Sutton Trust before that, that actually feedback has, is, is one of the biggest tools in our armory. But like you've identified there, if the feedback is not um, immediate or it's not very, very close to when the actual yeah. action happened, whether that's a, an essay, whether it's just a, a question, if it's, a, like you say, a week later or anything, then... It has very limited impact because, um, and that's where I think as a profession we've lost the meaning of feedback and we've always thought about it as being written feedback in books. But actually, as you mentioned there, if you do something, the best time to correct it or improve it is immediately. That's right. And if you look at, you just look at other professions, so sports coach, dance teacher, music teacher, Mm -hmm. chef. Yeah. They don't send, the chef doesn't, Two weeks later, it doesn't say you should have added a bit more salt. They yeah. say add some more salt right now, right now. Yeah, and remember. Yeah, yeah, and we'll, and we do that again, and that will become your memory for this recipe. You yeah. know, you need to add that salt. And you think about a mute, you know, a music teacher or a dance teacher. The dance teacher is going to say, change this step mm-hmm. or move from here. Yeah, and then practice it, then practice it, and then and then perform it. The dance, so I, I think it's that. It's that live teaching, is it? It's yeah, that and, and I, I think that's really powerful. That actually, a, a lot of people may, and I suppose the, the way I, the way I've asked some of the questions, it, it's all been about the student response. So the whiteboard gives the it enables all students to respond, all students to think, all students, all students. But actually, what we've come round to by the end of the podcast is it's also about you being able to then give immediate feedback a lot better, more efficiently, more effectively, because you can see everything quicker, you can see everyone's response. They can change it. They can get feedback from you, from their partner, whoever it is. And so that responsive teaching can happen in the lesson. So I think it's really for us not just to think about their response, but our response to their response, yeah, isn't it? You know, and how, how immediate it can be. Yeah. And the more immediate it can be, as we've just mentioned, the more effective our feedback can be. Um, and it also, as you mentioned earlier, in, in midway through, it lessens your workload because you're not then having to correct lots of things that were their first draft in their book. They've already drafted this three times, four times, five times on the whiteboard. So you're now starting to get, you know, what might have been three or four weeks down the line in their books That's right. within a few minutes. Yeah. So the power of speeding up the process, I think just from having a dry white pen and a whiteboard, yeah. it, it can be quite transformational, can't it? Yeah, it's, it, it, it is huge. Because like you said, they, 
they can they can learn from their mistakes they can learn from other people's mistakes without anyone spotting it and again before they produce it in front of me or in, into their book or in front of the rest of the class they've practiced it they've practiced it they've fine-tuned it they've fine-tuned it and then when it's time to produce it much like the game on Saturday or the dance performance yeah. or the or the um, meal it's it's exactly how it should be fantastic well listen that that brings us to the kind of the end of our discussion this afternoon and I just want to say a huge thank you it's been it's been hugely interesting and enlightening kind of talking about how you've used whiteboards how you've used it specifically in MFL and actually how we've almost come round to the fact that it, you know it, it, towards the end of the podcast there, it's not just about their responses it's now giving us enabling our response to their response to be quicker more efficient more effective and then speeds that whole learning process up just from having a different bit of kit in front of us so i think that's it's been great this afternoon i really appreciate you taking the time to to chat to me about this afternoon hopefully if people are listening they can you know find that set of whiteboards uh, if you haven't got some they're not that expensive you know get hold of some um badger your um, your head of department or you know one of the school leaders to, to get some uh, give them a go um but also like doug said Teach the routines, be persistent, make it part of your your norm and your armory, and really give it a go. And um, yeah, hopefully it's been really useful. So thank you once again, Doug. It, it's been a pleasure speaking to you this afternoon uh, and, and listening to all your insights about whiteboards. No, my pleasure. I've uh, I've really enjoyed it. As you can see, I'm quite quite passionate about uh, about the use of whiteboards and and the and the uh, reactive coaching that they let you do. Thanks for listening to the ALT Learn podcast. We'll be back soon with another episode where we'll be speaking to more of our teachers and finding out how they're turning theory into practice. Until then, take care.